This is the AOS Career Podcast, part of the Bone Bee Orthopedic Podcast channel. The series is hosted by the chairs of the AOS Resident Assembly and features conversations on professional development and growth opportunities within the field of musculoskeletal healthcare. On today's episode of the AOS Career Podcast, I am very honored to have one of my own attendings, Dr. Kristen Russo, here to discuss being a woman in orthopedic surgery and diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives in honor of International Women's Day. Dr. Russo, thank you for joining me. Thank you for inviting me. So today's episode is in honor of International Women's Day, which is recognized annually on March 8th. Dr. Russo, why do you think it's important for AAOS to recognize International Women's Day? I think on this International Women's Day, as you look around at the academy and you see a whole bunch of women hopefully wearing white in symbolization of this, we still need to recognize that we haven't hit that crucial number, that 30%, the Mansfield rule that says that we don't have to worry about this anymore once we hit that mark. And there are still so many issues that people are unaware of, reproductive rights for women, instruments that don't work for us, academic promotions that are not happening, conversations that are still happening in the locker rooms or in bars or places where women are not around. And so today on International Women's Day, when you see us walking around, we're here and we're not going anywhere. And we want everybody to know that. And that sort of leads me into my next line of questioning, if you will. Just talking about being a woman in orthopedics, we don't want to talk about balance, having it all, wanting it, all of those things. But being a woman, there are obviously some unique challenges and perspectives that you have, we have. What do you think the biggest challenge facing female orthopedic surgeons is today? I think the fact that we even have to think about that is the biggest challenge. We can't be upset at our male counterparts for not having to think about it, but we can be upset about having to think about it, that we have to worry about if some nurse in the operating room is going to be upset with me just because I'm a woman today, or that I don't know if I can go to the academy meeting because I am pregnant, or I just had a baby and I'm in private practice, and how am I supposed to bring home money for my family and also keep my practice up and also take care of this newborn. And so I think the thinking about all of those things is really what sets women apart from men in this field. I think when you find yourself working with people or for people that are thinking about these things that are bringing them up, that's when things start to get easier for us. So I think I have been fortunate the last couple of years at Columbia, being in that kind of environment where I have been surrounded by leadership that does think about these things and has made it more comfortable to have the conversations. I think that's really essential. The hardest thing facing women in orthopedics is not dealing with orthopedics, but dealing with all of the other things that we should not have to deal with. <laughs> Absolutely. I think I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the new policy with ABOS for part two, offering an alternate date. Can you talk a little bit about what this means for parents, orthopedic surgeons in general, not just women? Sure. And I am glad that you phrased it that way because we did have, I want to say a heated debate, but I think like a good discussion with Ruth Jackson when we're trying to take a stand on issues like this. I think when we make so many of these things about pregnancy, it again focuses on women and we become 
like, oh, we're complaining about something else again. And I don't think it's about that. And I think it's just about accessibility and access. And I don't think that I should be defining who is a parent in orthopedics. I think that we're not going to make any forward progress with what we're doing for maternity leave if we don't talk about it as a parental leave. I think that birth parents and adoptive parents and same-sex parents and even like regular dudes whose wives have babies should be involved in parental care and should also be extended these same graces. And so I know it's a lot on ABOS to change things and they're doing so without going virtual, which I also think is something that's really important. I think the virtual exam during COVID had some flaws. A lot of people had to return for in-person exams and there was a lot of bias that was surrounding that. I don't think there are a lot of other societies that are doing two in-person dates, if any. So I think it's great that they are leveling the playing field this way. And I think it helps that people are recognizing it doesn't just have to be about orthopedics all of the time, that you can have other stuff integrated into your life and you can still be a really good orthopedic surgeon. Yeah, so important. And I think as people who are in training to see that our governing body is making these changes, it means like they're listening to what we have to say and it's not happening everywhere. So we should be honored that people are paying attention. I know Ruth Jackson has some webinars that they're putting on or have put on in the past. Can you talk a little bit about these resources that are specific to career development and that happen to be run by RJOS? Yeah, I think that for so long, Ruth Jackson was focused on recruitment of women to orthopedics, and it was necessary and important and wonderful to do that. But we've moved that needle, honestly, even if in some places it doesn't look like it, we really have, that we can now sort of focus on here, now what are we going to do? In academics, there's the kind of this path from assistant to associate to full professor, where like you get less and less attention from actually your male counterparts as you move up, they start to feel threatened. So you get a lot of resources when you're an assistant professor, but then as you like start to move towards associate and then eventually to the numbered women who are full professors in this country of orthopedics, you get less resources thrown at you. People are not willing to help as much. And why is this trickle down effect happening? The same kind of bottleneck that happens everywhere in orthopedics. I think that it also happens in the private practice realm. And so we're kind of looking at it from that perspective is how can we get women this information, whether that means getting more letters after your name, if you want to go into administration, or what do you need for academic promotion? And how can we help you get your personal statements ready? Can we write letters for you and just putting your dossier together? And then also the perspective of private practice. What can you do to maximize your time in the office, your maternity leave, if that's something you're going to be doing? How can you be smart with billing? We're starting to delve into those areas as we expand. There's a lot of different ways that Ruth Jackson is helping right now. Yeah, I've definitely noticed a change even just myself over the past five years on what initiatives Ruth Jackson is promoting, giving us a little extra on retainment and how to advance our careers, which is something that I think when you don't have mentorship or you don't have resources, you're not really sure. What do you think in orthopedics needs the most attention right now? Where should we be focusing to improve our field in general? Orthopedics is not only very male, but also very white. And I think that we can't continue to pretend that's not an issue. Recognizing it is one thing, which thankfully now the kind of leadership has and AOS is taking on a bigger role in that. 
but we also have to stop the process that keeps it from happening. And so orthopedics is the second hardest field to get into, according to the match data from last year. Plastic surgery was the only one that had less percentage match. It was like a percentage point. So there were something like 380 something people who did not match into orthopedics last year. And what is then that perpetuating? It's perpetuating taking years off to do more research. It's perpetuating. You have to be so good. You have to get more degrees. You have to really spend more money and take more time. And so time equals money. Time equals the reproductive years of your life. These unpaid internships or unpaid research years, who can afford to take them? Like upper middle class white men. That's who can afford to take them, who don't have to worry about if and when they can have children and how they are going to pay rent. And so if we continue to walk this line with orthopedics becoming more and more competitive and you have to keep on adding years onto what you have to do to get here, it's just going to stay the same. And we can talk about all we want, that we want it to be more diverse, but we're not actually changing anything about the diversity of it. So it will be interesting to see what happens in the next couple of years as step one scores are gone. What will happen if step two scores will replace them as more and more medical schools get rid of their grades, those connections that you're making and these early mentoring or pipeline programs that you can do through M Dimensions or even through RJOS or JRGOS, even groups like Pride Ortho that are coming out and that you are establishing real deal, but smaller connections as opposed to a big step score or a giant research year. But that is going to change the way people get into orthopedics. And I think it has to, otherwise we're going to continue on this kind of cycle of the same problem. And we're just going to get further and further away from taking the best care from our patients. The data is all there that we need to look like our patients more in order to do them more better justice. And orthopedics needs to catch up on that majorly. Yeah, I think we know what the problems are now. The next step is fixing them. If you had like a dream scenario in five years, what would be different about the orthopedic landscape? I remember the first orthopedic meeting that I went to. I was really overwhelmed by the number of white gray heads when I walked past the rooms. I trained at Downstate. I had a number of Black attendings. I had a number of Black female attending, which now I know is so rare. And I had girls in my class. I didn't have as many female attendings, but I certainly knew they existed. So I think maybe five years is a little bit lofty, but I would really like to walk past one of those rooms in the academy and have it just look not like that. And I think with the number of people retiring and number of people coming in, it hopefully will happen but I don't think it's going to be in five years. And this is just sort of a big question for you. Of your accomplishments so far, what are you most proud of? And this is maybe like going to sound trite and maybe going to be maybe even more important because you're the one interviewing me here. But I think like the biggest accomplishment are the people who are coming after me. And that means my residents, my fellows, and my kids, my mentees, seeing all of those people to succeed in their own way has made my existence so much more meaningful and a reflection of me maybe, but at the same time just brings me so much happiness to see that and to have them get there. And there's all these like parenting books that say, 
you shouldn't tell your kid you're proud of them. You should ask them if they're proud of themselves. And I try to use that, I think, also with my residents and fellows and mentees as well. I'm going to be proud of you, but you really should be proud of yourself because you got yourself here. And if you got yourself here with a little bit of coaching or advocacy or whatever, you still did it yourself. And I think that is is super important. Yeah, I'm most proud of you guys. That's very nice. I'm personally honored by that. And as your tenure as president of RJOS begins this March, what project are you most excited for? Can you tell us, I guess? Yeah, I definitely can. I want every female medical student to know that we exist. And then maybe now I'll change that to I just want every medical student, female and male. At the end of February, we had a kickoff event for the local chapters launch of the Ruth Jackson Orthopedic Society. So for the first time ever, we're going to be offering like local medical student group memberships. And the idea is there's a lot of schools now that are orphan programs that don't even have orthopedic departments. So to get those students to be able to set up a local chapter for Ruth Jackson, and we're not reinventing the wheel. We're using a lot of what we learned from AWS, the Association of Women Surgeons, who does this very well and already has local chapters set up throughout the country. So we're starting to let students be empowered and organized. And then hopefully the goal is to then regionalize this and to have them separated out and maybe have some regional local events that they can actually get together in person because not everybody has the opportunity to get to our annual meeting to experience this. But yeah, so I'm really excited. That's kind of my baby that I've been working on, like piloting with a couple of courageous students across the country this year just to see where the kinks are and to figure it out. And we're ready to launch as this year moves forward nationwide. That's great. Dr. Russo, thank you so much for talking to me about your career, your passions, and helping our listeners understand the landscape and talk a little bit about what's coming up for Ruth Jackson and where we can get involved. So for any residents, medical students, remind me, everyone can join Ruth Jackson Orthopedic Society, correct? It is not just women. Yes, anybody can. And we encourage that. It's important just to get the emails, to know what's going on, to know the webinars that are there, know the issues, follow us on social media, male allies, we need you as well. How can residents, male and female, help to promote diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives in orthopedics today? I think you can start at so many levels and you can just start by talking about it because it's sometimes an uncomfortable subject to breach. If you're interested in seeing what we are doing nationally, you can join a number of different resources. So you can join Ruth Jackson, you can join Gladden, you can join AOLOS, you can join Pride Ortho, you can be a resident member of the Diversity Advisory Board. Don't be afraid of being the first one. You won't be the last one. And, and to take those steps, because the Academy definitely has those things to offer. Yes, for sure. And if any of our listeners are interested, there is an opening on the AAOS DEI committee. So if you go to cap.aos.org, you can apply for a position. Anything else that you might want people to know, Dr. Russo, before we sign off? No, I thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. I look forward to seeing and hearing from so many of you this year, and hopefully you don't get tired of hearing from me. So this episode concludes my hosting of the AOS Career Podcast. 
Moving forward, you will continue to hear a familiar voice in my assembly vice chair, Dr. Dan Cognetti. And if you want to hear me talk a little bit more, I will be hosting the JAOS Unplugged podcast moving forward. Thank you for listening to this episode of the AOS Career Podcast, part of the Bonebee Orthopedic Podcast channel. For more information on this topic and to hear other conversations on professional development, please visit aos.org forward slash the bone beat.